0: welcome to the pre-vet Podcast. i'm alex avellino your tour guide on the journey to becoming a veterinarian listen along as we provide you with tips tricks and tales on applying to veterinary school I'm Alex Avellino. And just a reminder to our audience that we are recording these podcasts from our home via Zoom. So audio might sound a little bit different. Today, our guest is Dr. Chris Aiden, who is the chair of the Department for the Small Animal Clinical Sciences at the University of Florida College of Veterinary Medicine. Dr. Aiden, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thanks, Alex.
0: Dr. Aiden is going to talk to us a little bit about his journey to veterinary medicine. You know, Dr. Aiden, our students really like to hear How did our guests get to where they are today? We're all talking a lot of development and leadership. So before we get into those heavier topics, can you walk us through where you got your degrees from and how you knew you wanted to be a veterinarian?
1: Well, um, I went to college at Duke University, and at that time, I was interested in being a veterinarian. I was also interested in being a scientist, and I had to decide between the two. So what I decided to do is my uh, senior year, I did a senior thesis that was a research project, and I also worked at a vet hospital over the summer and tried to decide between the two. And that was predetermined by God, I think. And when I was in uh, my my research experience, what it really involved is me sitting in a lab by myself. And I, I was lonely. I struggled to find the meaning in what I was doing. And then in contrast, I went to this veterinary hospital, which had uh, veterinary specialists at it. And that was a pretty unique thing for the 1980s to 90s. It was a private practice. They had a surgeon and an oncologist. And I worked with them. And it was the exact opposite it. was exciting, we were saving lives, we were interacting with tens of people a day, you know, all kinds of clients, staff, other doctors, and I got to do stuff with my hands, and I actually at that time not only decided I wanted to be a veterinarian, but I decided I wanted to be a surgeon, because I saw a lot of uh, what I enjoyed doing, fixing things is what I like to do.
0: And so where did you go to vet school?
1: I went to vet school at Cornell,
0: And how many internships did you do? I
1: did an internship at VCA South Shore Animal Hospital. That was a large private practice internship.
0: After your internship, where did you do your residency?
1: Uh, I did my residency at UC Davis, which had a great surgery program at that time.
0: And was that the end of your educational journey?
1: Well, never the end of my educational journey, but I have not received any degrees since.
0: Continued education is really important in the veterinary field. Would you say that's a part of their, like a part of professional development?
1: I would for sure. And it's interesting that you use the word professional development because uh, just a story about how I became interested in leadership training and skills. When I was a faculty member for about seven or eight years, I started to get opportunities for leadership positions. And one of them was I was invited to apply for a position at the Animal Medical Center, a large private practice in Manhattan. And it was when I went to interview for the job, my my understanding of leadership was that there were certain people that had leadership qualities, that they were good communicators, that they were respected. And when I spoke to, there was a private portion of the interview where I spoke to the, the leader at the AMC at the time, and uh, this was a person who was very educated in leadership skills, and in fact, had m- many, many years of experience in leadership, so a very, very experienced person in comparison to myself at the time, and he asked me what I thought about leadership training, and I told him my naive answer, which is that I think that some people have leadership qualities, and others uh, struggle with that. And that—that I hope that I, you know, had some of those qualities. And I didn't get that job. Um, And I look back at that as a really big learning experience. Later on in my life, I was fortunate to get asked to take some leadership training at Ohio State University. One of the department chairs there and the deans uh, identified uh, younger faculty members and decided to get them some leadership training to grow them up. And. I, I got that opportunity and then my eyes were open to how I had been wrong.
0: So I have a fun game I'd like for us to play. Cause as you've been talking, I'm like, okay, I'm thinking this is, you know, Dr. Aiden has a lot of leadership experience. He's been through a lot. What if you and I come up with right now on the spot for our listeners, potential leadership life curriculum ideas. So let's, we could start with baseline, step one what should somebody be thinking about doing to get more leadership skills
1: yes that's a great question alex so i i think that most leadership training experiences begin with an analysis of your uh, personal tendencies some of them um, an example would be a disc analysis yes eisc um, anyone listening can Google that. They have an, a neat website. Many vet schools offer personality testing during part of their curriculum, and that, that is something to take advantage of so that you can understand how you will interact with people. And what you'll find is that not that your personality test will tell you whether you can be a leader or not, because people from all different personality types or tendencies can be leaders, but each of them needs to understand themselves.
0: What did you get on the disc?
1: Gosh, I have to look back. I I am a person who tends to be introverted and I tend to try to please people. Anyway, I think that to answer your question, one of the first things that you would want to do is to is to Um, Be introspective. Take one of those tests. Hopefully that'll be supported through your school. And then beyond that, what most of those organizations offer is, so this is, this is who you are. And now this is what you need to know about your leadership development. And these are the areas you need to work in. These are the areas you're already strong in. Uh, And after that, then signing up for leadership opportunities. And there are some available here at UF. There's some available through IFAS. That's our agriculture and life sciences area. And uh, there are opportunities for undergraduate students. There's opportunities through the business school here, and I imagine that those would be similar at other universities. These are commitments like taking courses where you get graded, or there are online leadership training programs where you can, you know, do a couple of hours of continuing education and and learn more.
0: Okay, so step one, we're getting introspective. We're going to take some tests or quizzes. I know that there's some some things like discs that are free that you can take. It's not gonna give you the full, like Dr. Aiden's talking about, like this is what you can do to develop these skills even further, but it will give you a good baseline. The strengths quest is another one. So start with introspection. Step two, we would say take some courses, if they can. How do we feel about professional development books?
1: Books are great. And now that I'm in a leadership role, I scarf these books up because what I've learned is that if somebody has personal experiences based on, you know, 20 or 30 years of working with people and they're known to be successful, what they have to say is probably worth listening to. Some books that I have read recently that I found to be interesting are one called First Break All the Rules. That's a book that is based on data and it talks a lot about how to help people to find their strengths and to grow. And it helps you to do the same. Cool. Um, and another another good book would be Hostage at the Table. This is a book by a hostage negotiator who talks about how to get through conflicts.
0: Whoa.
1: Yeah, and they're both really easy to read. They're it's not like reading a textbook when you're in school. These these are page flippers.
0: How would you approach as a leader? So for your personal growth and also for leading others with weaknesses, how can we help ourselves once we've done our introspection and maybe we realize, okay, time management is a big weakness for me or reaction to criticism might be a big weakness. How does a leader approach that and how does a leader help lead others with their weaknesses?
1: That's a great question, Alex. The, That book, First Break All the Rules, actually has an interesting approach to that. What I grew up with is that you identify your weaknesses and you try to work on those. This book blows that out of the water, and that's part of why the title is First Break All the Rules. And what it suggests is that you find the strengths in people, and as a leader, your job is to put them in a position where they can use their strengths, not put them in a position where they need to overcome their weaknesses. And the key thing there is that if you do that, the people will be much happier than if they spend the rest of their life trying to overcome their weakness. Instead, you might say, gosh, this person is incredible at motivating people and at strategy, but they're horrible at details. So let's put them in a position where they can do that and not be spending the rest of their life being sad about not being very good at what they're doing.
0: That sounds a lot like the strengths quest test that we have our incoming students take. And it's all about your top five strengths, whatever they are, you focus on those. And yes. you don't you don't really I don't I don't feel like they're saying don't ever worry about your weaknesses, but they're saying focusing on their strengths will make them happier. And the
1: other thing to do about yourself as a leader is to make a list of the things that you think are most important to you. Right. You have to make hard decisions in life, whether you're in an official leadership position or not. And whenever you're having one of those times when it's hard to make a decision, you should step back and say, OK, what are those five things that I said are important to me? And then you can usually make the decision pretty easily.
0: Do you feel like not only is it critical to know your own strengths, but also express your strengths as a leader to your team so they can know expectations boundaries so there's that transparency going on
1: i think that's a great question I, and and in a way i also think it's important to express your weaknesses to the team you know yeah. that i'm i'm good at this but i'm not so good at this and i'm gonna need your help and that's how teams work right you have usually you need a diverse team that's why we talk about diversity if everybody's exactly the same and has the same strengths, then, then you're not going to have a great team. And if you can, you can rely on other people uh, and be honest with them, that's helpful.
0: So you're a veterinarian. Let's talk about surgery. So tell me what kind of surgeon you are. When, what kind of surgeries do you love performing? Or when was the last time you performed a surgery?
1: Mm-hmm. Well, I am what's called a soft tissue surgeon in veterinary medicine, which is chest, abdominal, cancer surgery. My favorite kind of surgeries are delicate surgeries. Uh, I, I like doing microsurgery, a uh, surgery that's performed under a microscope. As I've gone on in my career, I like to do things that only a few people can do because that makes me feel the most useful. And there aren't that many people that can do microsurgery.
0: So you say you like delicate surgeries. Would you say that your fingers are very nimble? Or are you really good at untying necklaces or getting knots out? And how do those skills translate to anything else in daily life?
1: You know, it's interesting. And surgery is something that it is helpful to be have some level of dexterity with your hands. And I think the thing that you'll find in most people that that enjoy surgery is that they're the kind of people that also are do-it-yourselfers at home. They're they're people that like to, a lot of them do woodworking, other sorts of projects. They work on cars. Uh, They just like fixing stuff. You don't have to be amazing with your hands to become a surgeon. The hard thing about being a surgeon is that you have to know a lot of other stuff and do delicate things with your hands. And uh, if you like medicine and doing things with your hands, you're gonna do the best.
0: Talk to me about One Health versus One Medicine.
1: So One Health is, is probably best known. People talk about that a lot. It is an initiative where there's interdisciplinary research that crosses lines between animals and people and tries to make health better for all of them at the same time. For example, the efforts towards diseases that both animals and people can get that are infectious diseases may be One Health. Food safety, other things are, are One Health initiatives uh, where the health of animals may impact the health of people because people eat those animals. One medicine is a concept where uh, it's, it's related, but it's a subset of One Health. One medicine refers to there are diseases in animals that are nearly identical to diseases in people. And by helping, for example, animals that have diabetes, if we come up with treatments for animals with diabetes, we can help people with diabetes. And when you can use the same medicine for both and make advances in one that help the other, that's called one medicine.
0: your chair of all of the small animal specialties like neurology, dermatology. What does that mean? What is your job? For the pre-vet students who are listening and being like, ooh, I, I, I would love to be in a leadership position in a college of vet med. What is the job of the department chair?
1: Well, the department chair is the person that supervises the faculty in that department. And the main thing that we are focused on is the careers of those people. We evaluate people each year, uh, their performance, and we try to help people to improve their performance and to get promoted, which is helping people to advance. And the way that they do that is by publishing, papers getting good teaching scores and and in doing that department chairs also are focused on improving the reputation and quality of the college
0: okay so pre-vet students who are listening if that sounds like something that you want to do you value helping others in their careers if you appreciate quality assurance in a college an academic setting you know you might want to be a department chair someday that's right Dr. Aiden, I always like to ask our guests, what advice do you have for pre-vet students? So these are the students who have not gotten into vet school yet. What do they need to know?
1: Well, um, one thing that I often talk to people about as uh, new veterinarians or pre-veterinarians is imagine all aspects of your life when you select your your career and the area that you pursue. So I mentioned that when I was in my pre-vet training, I saw a, a surgeon and I decided I was going to go to vet school to become a surgeon. And I never questioned that. I also never thought about what the rest of my life would be like. Being a surgeon means that you're on call at night for the rest of your career. Typically, it means that you're in on weekends taking care of people's pets because when you do surgery on, a, on an animal, they don't generally go home the next day if, if it's a complicated thing like I deal with. And it's it can be pretty stressful when all of the patients that I see require a surgery that's going to cost ten, you know thousands of dollars, and it's often going to be life or death. And that's on me to have it go well. Mm. And it doesn't always. And having, having to live with that each day can be amazing or difficult, depending upon how, how things turn out. So what, what I didn't do when I was uh, a pre-vet was to think I only thought about what I would like doing. I didn't think about the other things I like doing and how that was gonna interact. And the neat thing about being a veterinarian though is that you have a lot of different specialties that you can pursue, or you, you also can be a general practitioner and have uh, a lot of control over where you live and how your work life is going to play out. My my thing that I counsel people about is think about all of those things as you decide what area you're gonna immerse yourself in. The great news is you can actually change paths though at any point in your career. Um, and. As you mentioned, I, I haven't done surgery in, in a little while because I've been being a department chair, and my career prepared me for this in various ways. You can also invest more in research if, uh, if you find that that is more fitting with your uh, what you enjoy doing. And you can be a public servant as a veterinarian, work in the government. There's just a, an amazing variety of things you can do.
0: Absolutely. Dr. Aiden, what have we not talked about that you think is important for the students to hear?
1: Well, I'm excited about vet medicine as a, as a career, and I'm excited about UF. I would probably conclude on just mentioning the wealth of possibilities as a veterinarian. It's an exciting thing to be, and hoping that uh, uh, you know, if you have any questions that you can reach out to people like me here, I'd be happy to chat with you.
0: Well, I want to thank Dr. Aiden for being on the podcast today. We got some really good advice on how to become better leaders, better professionals, how to feel more comfortable in the position that we're choosing. And we heard once again how great the profession of veterinary medicine is. So thanks for being here, Dr. Aiden.
1: Thanks, Alex.
0: I'm Alex Avellino, and we'll talk to you soon.